everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. period that we're in. Uh, this is week two of our Lent series. And Lent is the 40-day period between Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, where it is a time to reflect and contemplate really our desperate need for Jesus. It's a time where we look not with worldly sorrow, but with godly sorrow on our brokenness and the world around us, not with despair and without hope, but recognizing that Jesus was not just a great option, he was our only hope. The work of the cross was not just a great bonus. It wasn't just a great addition to your benefits package. He is life. And so, it's, it's interesting when you begin to take this posture and you actually come to grips with your own frailty and your own brokenness. The scripture says that his power is made perfect in our weakness. Can I just let you know, his power is just fine. He's not like, you know, I don't know if we have any Dragon Ball Z fans in here, but he's not like, you know, waiting to go super saiyan before he can overcome the enemy in your life. Where it takes like those those old uh, Dragon Ball Z uh, cartoons, they would spend a whole cartoon of just Goku just powering up, just going. Ah! It'd be the whole episode is just that, just that. God's not just like, hold on, Josh. Ah! No, he's not. He's not waiting to get charged. He's not like one of those blue cars that you can rent downtown. You know. No, he's fully charged. Often the issue, though, is <laughs> that we ourselves, it takes us coming to a place of brokenness and weakness before we actually recognize that we really need him. Y'all hear me? It takes time for us to allow the idols and the things that we trust in so easily to be knocked out to where we actually realize our dependency on him. And so I say that even though it might be an uncomfortable place, it's actually an amazing place to be in. This morning, again, we're starting week two, and uh, last week as we kind of focused on the reality of our own sinful nature and the separation as a result of sin and our inability to cover our sin, we also looked at the work of Christ, that he alone is our covering. This morning, I want to focus on a different piece. You see, if you've been through City 101, one of the things that you've heard me say before is that the gospel is a lot more than we give it credit for. See, in the beginning, God created us to be with him in a good place. To be with him in a good place. As a result of sin, not only were we separated from him, but now the place that he called good was broken tarnished, spun into decay. Through Christ, 
who lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died and rose victoriously three days later, we are now able to be restored into fellowship. But that is not the end of the story. At the end of time, Christ will return because his desire was to be with us in a good place. I don't know about you all, but when I look around me, I see a lot of brokenness. And Christ is coming again one day to make all things new. That there will be a new heavens and there will be a new earth. And that home that God is preparing for us is what I want to focus on this morning. Would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2? I'm going to read beginning in verse 4. We're going to read to verse 15. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heaven. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living creature. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedulam and onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Let's pray. Actually, before we pray, I want you to say this. Say, I miss me some home. Just say it again. I miss me some home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you, in these moments that we have together this morning, would you please remove any callousness or any cobwebs of religious lingo? Lord, any just all the cares of this world and the appetite for what this world has to offer. Lord, would you help us be weaned from it for a moment so that we can have a taste of what we were made for. Lord, so that we can begin to develop hunger for the kingdom. Lord, would you give us a glimpse of home this morning? And Lord, would you help us to have the awareness? Would you even awaken our senses? Would you help us to be, no longer be deaf or blind to the things around us, God, that are not the kingdom, but actually things that you're coming 
some that you're coming to, rest to restore, and some that you're coming to destroy. Lord, give me strength and wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Caleb. You know, there's a song called Home by Johnny Swim, and, you know, it reminds me of the times when I was growing up at various stages and growing up, you know, how we can be accustomed to the things that we grow up around and the things that we like, the food that we like, the sounds that we like, the people that we like. And oftentimes, you know, when we come into these moments that just don't feel right, don't seem right, the first instinct is, I just want to go home. Like, I don't know about you. I don't know what, how old you were on your first, like, sleepover at a friend's house when things just didn't go the way that you thought it would. And you were just like, I want to go home. You better call my mama. Right? And they get out the dial-up. Some of y'all are like, what's a dial-up? What's he doing with his fingers? You just want to go home. You miss home. I, I think about uh, when I first moved from Indianapolis to go to school, go to college at Anderson University. And one of the first things that I noticed, it actually would keep me up awake at night. I know you would think, what would keep you up awake? And it was actually the, absent of the absence of the sounds that reminded me of home. It was so quiet in Anderson I did not know how to function. One, because I grew up in the city. I grew up at 21st in Delaware. I lived in the city. I loved the sounds of the city. We didn't really have central air, so during the summertime, we'd open up the windows. You just hear all the sounds of the city. You hear the cars. You hear the animals. You hear the couple cussing each other out next door. It was just a beautiful thing, right? All kinds of fun sounds. But I love I loved the sounds of the city. I loved, I actually, I know this sounds crazy, but I, I actually was comforted by hearing sirens. I felt a lot safer when I heard them than when I didn't hear them. I remember with my roommate at Anderson, I would tell him, like, dude, it is weird. I haven't heard any sirens. And he looks at me and he goes, man, it's because there's no crime. I said, no, it's because nobody's getting caught. I don't trust it. I don't trust it. But it wasn't just the sounds of the city. I mean, I'm the oldest of seven, and we are a lot of loud mouth people. And I just love, I love the sounds of my house, the, 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 the singing that would happen in our house. Even just sometimes not even actual words at family reunions and my family reunion. You know, we have a big family. I like to call us the black Italians. Like you can have a whole conversation and not even say a word, just vowels. Just vowels, especially like if it was, we were watching like a boxing match and all my uncles were hanging out. All you would just hear is like, hey, hey. Hey, hey, remember that time? Remember that time? Remember that? Hey, hey, nah, nah. You're just like, I don't even know what's happening, but somebody's excited and somebody gets it. But I just miss the sounds of home. I remember when I moved to Nashville and I was living with eight dudes again. It was like eight of us living in the campus house our pastor's basement, we were all just like, I mean, we were just loving Jesus and not making a lot of money. And, uh, but, you know, living off of Cheerios and ramen and craft singles. Yeah, come on. God bless those craft singles. Well, and Tostino's pizzas, we could get them five for $3. It was amazing. It was an amazing deal. Uh, but but I just remember missing the smell. Like when, when you are living, when you're a bachelor living with seven other dudes, you start to miss the smells of home, right? 
because the smells that are around you are just destroying your nostrils. Like, I probably could go into a landfill and not even be phased because of what God prepared me for in that, that, that house. But I began to miss the smells of home, and, and particularly during Christmas time when my mom and my grandma, my granny Montague, they would make all kinds of baked goods and make this 30-day friendship cake that we would give out to family and friends. Just the aroma of baking would fill our home, and I missed, I missed the smells of home. I think about, you know, I, I know we've got a lot of uh, multi-ethnic couples in this place today. You know, what about the first Christmas or Thanksgiving you spent at the in-laws and, and the things that you were accustomed to having at your Thanksgiving table that did not happen to be at that Thanksgiving table or things that you had never even thought of digesting during a holiday that you're like, what is that? You know, I don't know about you guys. I've, I love my family. I love my extended family. I've got my beautiful a Kentucky queen that God has blessed me with and, and all this extended family. But there was a couple things that I missed. It's just, it's just not, it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't, no, wasn't nobody's fault. Wasn't nobody's fault. I just missed it. There was a couple things. Uh, one in particular was macaroni and cheese. Like there's just certain things. I don't even think you need a holiday for macaroni and cheese. I believe the Holy Spirit has blessed it. It should just show up. And if it shows up, it needs to have all of its glory. Don't try to be extra. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes people try to be extra by withholding the butter and the cheese from the mac and cheese. If you're having mac and cheese, you just need to go all in into the blessing. Just go in. It's like the oil from the beard of Aaron. Just let it all just. I know when I go to a soul food restaurant, if I don't see a layer, a layer of like, like I, I know when I go to a sofa restaurant, if they try to scoop out the mac and cheese and the mac and cheese pulls the spoon back, like, no, nah, I I then it's good. It's good. But I didn't see no mac and cheese. One of the things I really, really missed, one of the things I really missed from home, my Aunt Renee, she has this amazing recipe of, of uh, candied yams. And she slices them thin. And it's like a secret recipe. She won't give it to nobody. I'm like, Arne, you're so stingy. Don't you love your nephews? You got to pass that on to the next generation so that we can have that taste for years to come. And then she'll say, she'll act like she's going to give you the recipe, but she'll leave like one or two things out. Like, man. But the thing about it is because nobody makes it like her, man, I always miss the taste of home. You know, when, when we think about these things, just think about the things that you miss at home. You know, I know there's, there's all kinds of things, whether it's not just maybe your home that you grew up in, but where you grew up. You know, things from, you know, I know we've got people from all over, whether it's from Nebraska, whether it's from South Carolina, Atlanta, Florida. You think of the things that you miss, the things that you long for. And, and I believe that these are just kind of a glimpse of a greater situation that is happening within the human, uh, the human race. That it's actually a preview of a far greater reality of longing. You see, we were made for a home that is greater than anything that we can imagine. And yet, when we look at the world around us, something just doesn't seem right. When we look around us and we see racism, not just in America, mind you, 
but globally, and not just as a recent construction, but as an ancient brokenness, it should bother us because we were made for home, and that's not it. You think of economic brokenness, whether it be in the form of poverty or greed or socialism. Yep, I said it. It should bother us. Because we were made for home. But that's not it. When it comes to the issue of sexual perversion and exploitation on a grand scale, not just the kinds that are deemed globally wrong, but the ones in which there's dissonance between the culture and the kingdom. It bothers us because we were made for home and this is not it. Sickness and disease robbing us of loved ones, destroying people groups and nations, being passed from one generation genetically to the next. It should bother us because we were made for home, but this ain't it. We feel this dissonance. We feel this guttural check. Things don't feel quite right because they are not. It's not right and it doesn't feel right and it feels off because we were made for a different home. A home that we often only experience in faint echoes and passing aromas and hints of flavor. And yet one that I truly believe God wants us to not only experience, not only long for, but represent and usher in. In Genesis we see as a result of the fall when you look at Genesis 3, right after the passage which we talked about where God had made coverings for Adam and Eve from the skins of animals. It says in verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever, Therefore the, God, therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. See, when God expelled Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, he set humanity on a path of perpetually yearning for a home that we cannot fully obtain until Christ returns. Now, in the time that I have today, I really want to zero in on a couple things. We're not gonna, I'm not going to preach the everlasting gospel, but I do want us to catch something. You think about what it's like. Think about if you've ever had to move, particularly if you had to move from a place that you really loved. And I would dare say it probably pairs in comparison to what Adam and Eve were experiencing when they were expelled from the garden. As great as you think your childhood was, I mean, if you had the childhood that was just like the movie Sandlot, it was a great movie. As great as it, it's nothing compared to what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden. The earth and all of its beauty and splendor and, perf- and perfection Walking with God in a way that no one, no one 
alive has experienced that level of intimacy, connection, fellowship. Like when you think about maybe, you know, one of the things I remember when I, when our daughter passed away, when Aria passed away, one of the things that I would try to hold on to was the smell. I remember it was a, a couple weeks after she passed away and my wife and I, we found one of her burp cloths that hadn't been washed yet. And as silly as it might have looked, we sat on our bed and just, just try to remember what she smelled like. Can you imagine walking with God so close that you knew what he smelled like? Can you imagine walking with him, growing so familiar with walking in the garden with him that you knew his cadence? It's interesting when we see the passage that Adam and Eve, they ran and they hid. They knew that he was in the garden. They were so familiar with his walk. They were so familiar with his presence. that They didn't have to see him. They knew he's there. No shame. No fear. No insecurity. And now, as a result of sin and disobedience, now... Not only did they experience those inner brokennesses, those inner uh, weaknesses of shame and condemnation and fear and insecurity and now division with each other and division with God. Now, not only are they dealing with that, but now they actually can't even stay. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through stuff, I wanna, I'm trying to get home. I remember I, I felt in, when I was in, uh, in um, North Carolina and grieving of my daughter passing and I was just struggling and, and I'm trying to work and trying to function and just breaking down. I remember just having one day where I just said, I have got to get home. I need to go to Indianapolis. I need to hang out with my brothers. I need to see my dad and my mom. I'm trying to get home. And here they are in the greatest ache, the greatest struggle, the greatest problem, and they have to leave the place that they've known. And I guarantee you it didn't take long for them to begin on this sojourn for a new home. And looking at the world decaying around them and thinking, God, I miss home. Can you imagine what it might have felt like for Adam and Eve, just not even just among themselves, but even as they would see the grand family that God would build and the layers of sin and brokenness just begin to spread. And they actually remembered what life was before all that. They knew what it was like to not just know about God, but to walk with him. And I would imagine that this longing probably was not something that could be contained. It was probably something that where they couldn't help. I mean, you think of, if you've ever seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite and, and, and the way Uncle Rico would talk about his past accomplishments, you know, as though they were the greatest things of the world. If you've ever heard somebody tell a fishing story and the fish was this big, or you've ever had a parent that was trying to help you stop complaining about having to go to school on the school bus and telling you about how they walked uphill both ways barefoot with tacks on the ground. Can you imagine, can you imagine how glorious it would have been to hear Adam and Eve's stories? See, when I see this passage in Genesis 2, 
When I see this, this passage talking about the garden that they were placed in, and the four rivers that flowed out to the garden, to water the garden, it doesn't sound like just, uh, it's not like a scientific document that we're hearing. It actually sounds like somebody thinking of how great things were. Man, I wish you could have seen it. There was, there was this, this stream that split into four rivers, and, and this one, it actually flowed right where the gold was, and the gold was so glorious. It was so beautiful. Now, the authorship of Genesis, along with the first five books of the Bible in the Jewish community known as the, as the books of the law, to Christians known as the Pentateuch, five Penta. The authorship of these books is actually ascribed to Moses. And it's believed, as we see this as a part of the tradition of the church, particularly is the tradition in, in ancient Hebraic society was that many of the stories and the historical accounts were passed on orally. Now, if you've ever read about Moses, you know that Moses was actually raised as an Egyptian. And yet he was nursed by his mother. I would encourage you to go back, read about Moses. But what I wonder is, I just picture Moses' mom saying, I don't want you to forget this. This is where we came from. This is our home. And passing on these stories. Passing on this God-breathed vision. I imagine that maybe it was a combination of the oral tradition that had been passed to him, perhaps some ancient Hebrew text that we don't now have. I, I would imagine possibly you might get some revelation when you've experienced God in about as great a way apart from Adam and Eve as anybody else on the planet the way that Moses encountered the manifest presence of God. And yet, Moses, the timing of when Genesis, the first book of the Pentateuch, would have been written, can imagine him possibly sharing this first book with people who had just experienced an exile of themselves, the second exodus of sorts, and, and, and having the same mix, somewhat mix of yearning and longing and frustration, trying to think of how can I help a people who are technically free but have still been conditioned for slavery to long for the calling in the home they were made for. Here he was speaking to people who were probably third generation slaves under the oppression of Egypt and trying to help them think like first generation sons and daughters of the creator of heaven and earth. And you hear this longing. This sense that we were made for a home. And this is not it. Why is it that the Egyptians who had been saved and rescued and delivered out of the oppression, oppression of Egyptian rule, why is it that they began to long for the way things were? 
the same reason that we who have been given and heard of the great deliverance that comes from Jesus, that we that hear about the freedom and the provision and the security and the fulfillment that we can have in Jesus, the same reason when it gets hard, we start to lean back to our old appetites. See, some of you, you grew up in the church. And so even in the midst of however, if you're, you know, I know everybody, a lot of times people when they grow up in the church, the thing that they always think about, if they, especially if they got church hurt, they talk about legalism, legalism. There's legalism. But there's also some good things. And many times I think that we have a couple or a few bad things that happen and we just let that just paint our history. And we miss out on the seeds and the moments that God was actually sowing something into us that would produce fruit later. What's interesting to me is that as Moses is trying to speak and, and, and write this and communicate this to us, many people, he couldn't even appeal to a familiarity because they'd only know life as slaves. I would submit this. Some of you who have come to faith, some of you who are maybe on the doorstep, so often we hear the echoes of home. We see a glimpse of home. Maybe we even want to come home and we experience God. But we've been so shaped by slavery, we don't know how to live free. So how do we begin to not just long for home, but actually walk in it? I'm going to give you these three things. And I want to pray for you and we're going to get out of here. But the first thing is this, come home. So how do I come home? Well, the first thing about coming home is to know that home came to us. See, here's the thing about home. This is what made it so special. It wasn't just the vegetation. It's that the Garden of Eden, it was a place where heaven and earth collided. There was no separation. There was fellowship with God and with man. That there was not this division. It was we are here, God is here, and we are in fellowship together. But God is a holy God, and in him there is no darkness. So when sin came into the earth, there was an immediate separation. See, the thing I just want to help, help us frame is so often we just long for heaven and long for heaven and long for heaven. We were not just meant to escape earth to go to heaven. God is bring, making a new heavens and a new earth. We were actually given a stewardship to care for the earth that he placed us in. So this is not an escape mission that we are on. This is actually on a full-out rescue and redeem mission. And so the whole point is that God's desire is that there would be oneness again, heaven and earth in unity. And we don't see this happen until the appearance of Jesus, where now heaven and earth dwelt in one person. Jesus, fully God, fully man. There's a theological term for it. It's called the hypostatic union. When Christ came, he came with home. Now let me tell you, 
I'm thinking about the brokenness in the world. Can I tell you, Mary Magdalene knew a little thing about feeling brokenness. She knew about sexual exploitation and shame. She felt very acquainted to that. And yet, can you imagine what it felt like when she encountered Jesus the first time? And thought, oh, something feels different. There's something different about why. Because it felt like home. It felt like home. Can you imagine what it was like to be Zacchaeus, choked out by greed, completely wrecked by, uh, by money and by mammon and just cheating and doing all this stuff and being wrapped up, not only to mention his own struggle with his own size and his challenges and his overcompensation, and yet when he met Jesus, when Jesus came to his home, Jesus brought home with him. When Christ not only lived the life that we should have lived, died the death, we should have died and rose victoriously. He did so not so that we could escape to home, but he did so that those who would repent and believe would now be filled with his spirit. Now, what does this remind you of? Well, when we began in Genesis Chapter 2, verse 4, we began talking about how God created man from the dust of the ground. And it says he formed him, and then did he do what? He breathed into him. One of his powerful accounts in John is after he has been raised from the dead, he comes to the disciples, and he breathes on them. And then he see this is the first time that people have come alive in Jesus. And now, home is not just a place we're looking to go, although, yes, I'm looking for home to be fully restored, but now we have a piece of home on the inside of us. Did y'all hear me this morning? I want you to catch this. The first thing we need is we've got to receive him. We've got to know that it's only the only way that we come into this place of fellowship is through Christ. 1 Corinthians 15:22 says, "For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive." That our home ticket, our home not just to a place that we go, but a condition of our soul and our present state is in Christ. So, we got to go come home. Secondly, we've got to be home. Say be home. What does this mean? It's about being a disciple. Now, I just want to say this because this is, quite frankly, where most of us, many of us, lose our credibility as representatives of the kingdom and actually become uh, unable to actually bring heaven to earth because we receive Christ and we have a piece of home in us, but we don't allow it to work through us. We have been so conditioned by the brokenness around us that we just think that is just the way it's meant to be. And we lose sight that God actually, we were given God in the flesh, the word made flesh. We were given his word to instruct us and teach us how to live and what home's like. It's like when I think back at those who were exiled into Babylonian rule. 
one of the big challenges they face is how do we honor God in a foreign land? And then as generations would pass, you had a generation of people who were growing up and were like, we're this covenant people, but we just have Babylonian ways. And we function, we just think this is normal. This is an uncomfortable situation. You don't have to say amen. I know it is. I know this. How do I know this? Because people get saved all the time and then go out on all social media platforms and are advocating for a Babylonian system. We want salvation, but we don't want God's way. We want forgiveness, but we don't want to stop living like slaves. Do you understand? We're not just meant to be saved by Jesus. We're not just meant to be touched by heaven. We're actually meant to represent it in the earth. So when I say that it actually renders us ineffective and we lose credibility, it's because if you are supposed to represent a different kingdom, a different place, a place of freedom, a place of hope, a place of joy, and yet you just represent the same brokenness all around you. I say, what? what is so great about what you're talking about? Now, I want you to hear what I'm saying. Because what I'm not saying is just be fake. You know, sometimes we think that the way that we represent the kingdom of heaven, we just pretend that we're never sick. Are you sick? No, I'm not sick. I'm healed. Blessed. Highly favored the Lord. Hallelujah. Man, are you struggling with depression? No, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. <laughs> I'm eating all my feelings away. I haven't come out of the house in a couple weeks, but I got that joy, joy, joy. And we just think that by ignoring our feelings that we're honoring Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. What people want to know is when you do deal with those things, how do you respond? What is your hope? What do you have that's different than what I got? That comes from us being disciples, followers of Jesus. What does that mean? Is that you actually got to recognize I don't know how to do everything. And you at least have to ask the question, and I want to say it on two sides, because some people you think that because you grew up in church that you actually are already good to go. You might have actually just grown up in a religious system but not actually learned how to follow Jesus. You can follow the deacon, but you can't follow Jesus. You can follow the cultural conditioning, but you can't follow Jesus. So, you, like, you know, if we don't do hymns, then you can't worship. Or if we don't have an organ, then you don't know how to praise Jesus. Or, or, or if it's too loud, you don't think you can praise Jesus. Come on. We're not loud enough, somebody. No, I'm saying it's like a lot of times we just think it's always for the people, the unsaved people that are like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he's still smoking. And, yes, there's a process of sanctification. We're growing in it. But you at least have to ask the question, okay, God, I function this way. How would you have me do this? This isn't just a one-time thing at the altar. This is a daily thing. What I find is interesting is, oh, gosh, and it, it pains me. Just think about this. Moses, who wrote Genesis, who's stirring up, trying to help transfer a longing for a home, and actually is leading people to a promised land. Moses himself missed out. 
He didn't get to walk into the promised land because he forgot. He chose to take things under his own hands rather than doing what God said. Just because you saved and religious doesn't mean that you got it all figured out. It's not just come home. We got to be home. We got to be a disciple. We've got to allow him to make us more like him. Last thing is this. You got to take home with you. Kayla, go ahead and come on up, sis. What do I mean by that? When we, we begin to walk as disciples of Jesus, we begin to walk into our divine purpose, discover who, we, who he is and who he's called us to be. It's a beautiful thing to re- remember that God made man and woman in his image. He made us to represent him wherever we go. And as we do so, it's just this amazing responsibility he's given us that we actually get to take home with us. Here's the reality. There's no good thing that we will experience on this earth that can remotely come close to what God has prepared. I love the way that John Eldridge puts it. He talks about how the talents and the gifts and the callings and the abilities that we've been given to utilize on this earth, it's really just dress rehearsal. So often we think of this earth as the end-all, be-all. And we think that, man, if we could just just hold on and just make it, just hold on until we, we escape, that that's the goal. This is what I believe. I believe we see this is that God actually wants you to come alive in him so that you actually get to be the glimpse of heaven that people see. That the way you create helps remind people of home. That the way you love each other sacrificially reminds people of home. That the way you think about finance and business and creatively come up with ways to fund kingdom work and restore those who are broken, it reminds people of home. We, as we walk in him, as we grow in his image and allow him to shape us and mold us, have this commissioning to go give people a glimpse of a kingdom that is not just coming, but is come and is growing. Here at City of Lights, we kind of put it this way, those three, as we say, connect, ignite, light. City of Lights exists to connect to people, ignite a city, and light the world for the glory of God. What do we mean by that? We believe that first and foremost, we've got to connect to the Savior we got to connect to God, connect to this community. We've got to come alive in discipleship, come alive in his spirit, moving in us, teaching us how to live. We've got to light and go out and be a light in the darkness that every place and space that God places us in, we can remind people. That when they hear us, they hear the echoes of home. That when they see us, they get a glimpse of the home that they were made for. 
that when they come sniffing around our relationships and our community, they get a sense of the aroma of heaven as they see different nations and generations growing together and growing together and loving and serving each other way that they can come and smell and think, smells like home. Can I tell you, Jesus is going to come. He's going to restore all things. He will make all things new. He's got a home that he is building. And when you look around and you see the brokenness again, it's a reminder that this is not it. And yet, he wants to do a work in your heart, in your life, that you become a place called home. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are good and you are faithful. Lord, I ask right now that you would, it's the longing for your kingdom of justice, freedom, unity, of peace, of joy, of love, of identity, of wholeness. Lord, would you just stir it up again? Lord, would you draw us to you? Would you draw us to you, O King? Lord, would you help us to grow tired and weary of the lesser things so that we can grow in you? Lord, we need you and we're desperate for you. Lord, I pray that this longing would draw us to you, that it would draw us to your feet. And Lord, I ask that you would help us, God, that you would help us have such a longing that it would actually supersede our comfort level and the familiarity with what we've become accustomed to. We'd not be afraid to learn things new and afresh to becoming more like you. Father, I thank you. You're moving in our midst. Transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to say this one thing as Trish comes up and she kind of wraps up this service. Is if you're here this morning and this first step of coming home and receiving Jesus, Jesus as Lord, if you know this is the time that you're taking that step, on the Connect card, we have a slot that says, I want to take the next step in Jesus. I want to invite you to check that, to bring it to City Central. We want to connect with you. I believe that God is stirring some things up in hearts. We want to help you grow in him and begin to walk in this newness of life. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.